Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Before we get started with this part, this this probably end game of this book, I'm hoping, because, I mean, now we're just looking into what caused this. I am glad that the trauma was not associated with her father dying. I am not glad that her sexual addiction stemmed from sexual trauma. And I did look it up and that can happen. It definitely does happen. Um, I just, Oh no, it's just like, you know, putting molestation on top of, um, Everything else that's happened in this book is kind of like, ugh, and I know that Jason at some point is going to have to stand up and say he was molested. So that means that there's two molested kids in this book who went two separate ways of dealing with their sexual traumas. You know what I'm saying? Who's dealing, who dealt with this in two separate ways. Also, <clears throat> if the sexual trauma happened before she moved to Atlanta, before they moved to Atlanta, why did it really start to manifest when she was like 13 or 14? I'm not saying that to be nasty or anything. I'm just like, does it manifest at puberty? Like, I don't know how this works. And so I have questions that I'm going to have to do research on, I guess. Am I going to do research on it? Maybe if I remember, if not, it's all right, but I'm just curious. <sighs> Chapter 29. I have no idea how long I was in the hypnotic trance, but after I woke up and took a quick survey of everyone's face, I wanted to be put the hell back out. Dr. Graham looked as if he had just been on the receiving end of an enema. Marcella looked as if she had just found out she had fibroids the size of grapefruits. My mother looked like hell froze the fuck over, and poor Jason looked like someone had just chopped his dick clear off. All of them had their mouths hanging wide open, and if a bumblebee had been in the room, it could have stunk each and every one of them on the tongue before they even saw it coming. No, it couldn't, because it would have died. It would have stung one of them. The barb would have got hooked. It would have pulled its innards out, and they would have, it would have died. We found that out and why I'm afraid of bees, even though I already knew it, but still. I couldn't decide which one of them to ask, so I directed it to the love of my life. Jason, is, is it that bad? He broke out of his own hypnotic trance, pressed his thumb under my chin, and gave me a kiss on the lips. It's bad, Zoe, but nothing we can't fix together. I didn't say another word. You could have heard a pin drop until Dr. Graham broke the silence in the room. Um, Zoe... The reason we're all shocked is, as it turns out, there wasn't just one incident in your past that came out during hypnosis. There were two. Two? What the hell? I looked at my mother, but she could be of absolutely no help to me. She was too busy fighting demons of her own, thinking I was perpetrating a fraud all these years by pretending nothing happened when the entire time to me it never did happen. All of it had been suppressed somewhere in the deep, dark crevices of my mind. Marcella finally spoke up. Zoe, the best way to clear all this up is by letting you hear it in your own words. She pressed the rewind button on her mini cassette recorder and asked, Ready? 
Jason still had his arm around me, and I laid my head on his chest, hoping I would still have an ounce of sanity left after I listened to the tape. Ready. When the tape first started playing, it was about what I expected. Dr. Graham was asking me a bunch of questions about my life, gradually working his way back to my childhood. We got back to when I first moved to Atlanta, across the street from Jason, and of course I mentioned the ass-whooping I gave him, since it was one of my most shining moments. Then he asked me about Dallas, and with the mere mention of the city's name, my voice on the tape changed to one even I would have been hard-pressed to recognize if I didn't already know it was me. As an adult, if you were to tape record yourself and then play it back, you would probably wonder to yourself, is that me? That's redundant. That was the case. It was me, the younger version of Zoe, who had disappeared once puberty set in. I hadn't heard the voice in almost two decades. My mother and Jason recognized the voice in my youth. I heard my mother on the tape, sounding frantic. Zoe? Doctor, what's happening? That's what she sounded like when she was a little girl. Dr. Graham responded, I'm, I'm sure it is, but please calm down. That's the Zoe we need to talk to. I heard Jason jump in, yelling at the top of his lungs, Dr. Graham, if this is something that's going to damage my wife in any way, I want this shit to stop right now. Jason, it won't harm her. It'll make her better. She has to get the secrets out or they'll destroy her like they almost did this past year. Jason's voice lowered, but I could hear him breathing heavily, and I could sense the fear. Okay, doctor, as long as you understand, I don't want my wife harmed. I understand, Jason, and I promise you that won't happen. Everyone fell silent, allowing Dr. Grant to continue. He asked me several questions about my early childhood. I was amazed, listening to the tape that I even knew the answers to half of them. We all sat there while the little Zoe described her first day at kindergarten, how she won the biggest smile contest in the schoolyard, how most of the other kids had cried when their mothers left them there, but not her, and that's why she won the lollipop. Then, little Zoe talked about how much she liked finger painting and playing Ring Around the Rosie. She talked about the various dolls she had as a child, including the black Barbie outside of stole in the attic to give to Kayla Michelle once she's old enough to appreciate it. She talked about how she used to make new dresses for her from old pieces of clothing around the house and how she always wanted to be an official member of the Mickey Mouse Club. She talked about the piggyback rides her daddy used to give to her and how he used to sit her on his lap in his recliner and read Dr. Seuss books to her. Little Zoe talked about how much she used to hate carrots and how she would sneakily feed them to her dog Spot underneath the dining room table and how he got ran over by a car when she was in the third grade. Then the first incident came to light. Since the incident seemed to be running in chronological order from kindergarten on up, it appeared to have happened sometime during my third grade year. An incident my parents obviously never knew about. One that preceded the incident in the fifth grade that ultimately made my parents relocate to another state. I still had my head resting on Jason's chest. I tried to let his heartbeat comfort me while I listened to the little Zoe on the tape begin to recall the story. It was a holiday. I'm not sure which one, but it was one where everyone has cookouts and get-togethers at someone's house so all the kids can play. Mama and Daddy took me to one of Mama's friend's houses from college. Her name was Lisa or Laura or something else with an L. I heard my mother call out, It was Laura! Oh my goodness, did Laura do something to her? Marcella said, Shh. Little Zoe continued, All of the kids were out in the street playing when Mama's friend came out and told her daughter to walk down the street to get her son from his girlfriend's house because it was time to eat. She told her daughter to take me with her so I can go for a walk too, since we're about the same age. My mother interrupted again. Laura did have two kids, a daughter, Monique, who was about a year older than Zoe, and a son who was in his teens. Dr. Graham told my mother to calm down. That That's great, but let her finish, and then you can fill in the blank spots, okay? We got to let her tell it in her own way. When we got down to the other house, there were a bunch of teenagers hanging around outside. When we went indoors to get them, there were people everywhere and music was playing. I don't think any adults were home and they were having a party. The girl I went down there with asked where her brother was and some boy told her he was upstairs in the bedroom. She led me by the hand up the stairs. There were a bunch of teenagers in the hallway up there too. One of the doors was open, and everyone was standing around laughing and saying things I knew they shouldn't be saying because they were all very bad things. We went into the bedroom, and her brother was on the bed doing all sorts of things with this girl. His girlfriend, I guess. I heard my mother scream out on the tape, Oh God, no! 
black folks are so dramatic. Like, for real. He's done told her twice. Just... That's why, if you can help it, if you can help it, if it's not a family member or a really close friend and you want to protect your peace and your trauma, don't go to black funerals. Do not go to a funeral for a black person. I'm talking granny. I'm talking auntie. Don't come to mine. Because folks just try and climb in the casket and they be yelling and screaming, oh Lord, take my baby, take me, not my baby. And it turns out that they're actually younger than the person who died and just, oh my God. And then the pastor preaching for like two hours at a fucking funeral. It's horrible. But the people just be crying and screaming and carrying on and it's just so much trauma. You don't want to be there. That's why I don't do Funerals, and I don't do weddings. Those are the two. Those are the rules. Marcella asked her if she wanted to leave the room and wait out in the hall, but she refused and got quiet again so I could move on. I'd ask her too. Nigga, shut the fuck up. That's how I'd ask her. Nigga, will you please shut the fuck up if I'm being nice? Shut the fuck up, please. There we go. They were both naked, and he had his mouth on one of her breastesses. Breastuses. I sat there, shaking my head at the words I was hearing, but it couldn't be more realistic. When I was little, I mispronounced several words, and breasts were one of them. I distinctly remember calling him Breastuses instead. He was on top of her, and he had his dangling inside her coochie coo. When his sister told him to stop, he wouldn't. He yelled at us to go away. Everyone started laughing and knocking us around. I took a deep, restorative breath on the tape. It was almost as if I feared what I was about to say next. I ran out the room and left the little girl there I had come with. But when I got to the bottom of the stairs, there was this boy there, an older boy, and he smelled like liquor. He wouldn't let me get past him, and he pushed me down the steps and started putting his hands all over me. I was so scared. My mother's sobs were easily recognizable on the tape, but she didn't say anything else. He put his hand underneath my t-shirt and started squeezing me, and it hurt. He tried to pull my shorts off, but I started kicking and screaming just like daddy told me to do if someone ever tried to hurt me. All the other kids were standing there laughing, but then one boy helped me. He pulled the bad boy off me, and then he hit him. They started fighting right there in the living room, and everyone was yelling and screaming at them. I ran out the front door and down the street to find mama and daddy. I got back down to the house, and when mama asked me why I was crying, I made up a lie because I didn't want to tell her the bad thing I had done. I told her the little girl had been mean to me and told me to go back to her house because she didn't want to play with me anymore. My mother spoke up then, happy she could finally be of some help. Shh, the fuck up. It was Memorial Day. Laura and her husband had a cookout and she did send them to get her son because the food was ready. When Zoe came back alone, she was crying, but she didn't tell me what had really happened. I just thought she and the little girl had gotten into a petty spat because neither of them had taken a nap and it was late in the afternoon. The other kids returned to the house about 15 minutes after Zoe, but no one said anything. They were all acting normal by then, and Zoe and the little girl started playing together again. Dr. Graham reassured Mama that she was tremendously helpful and then told her we were going to move on. Like, shh, okay, good, okay, okay, good memory, good job, good, doesn't mean a thing. We don't give a fuck what day it happened on. We don't, we don't, shh, but thank you. Sheesh. Zoe, let's jump ahead a bit. Do you remember your fifth grade year, the beginning of the year when you were still in school in Dallas? Yes, I do remember it. My voice instantly changed on the tape. It was still one of my youth, but it was somehow more mature than a previous one. It also seemed more tense and uneasy than its predecessor. I remember everything, including the day they hurt me. Jason yelled out, Who hurt you? Nigga. Stop. Marcella jumped in. Jason, calm down. I know this is hard on you. Hell yeah, it's hard on me. My wife was molested, and you all sitting around here acting like she's talking about a ballerina recital or something. Jason, we're all just trying to get to the bottom of this, but we can't do that if you're going to overreact throughout the entire process. Oh, so y'all going to tell him that, but y'all ain't going to throw the mama out? I mean, y'all did ask her to get the fuck out. So I guess all, all's fair. Fair game. Fair game. As an afterthought, she asked, do you want to go out in the hallway? I'll go with you. 
Hell no, I'm not going out in the hallway. I'm sitting right here on this bed with my arms around my wife. Okay, Jason, that's your prerogative. Damn right it is. Grand rising, my nigga. My mother asked him to please calm down. Motherfucker, what? The side eye that I would have given my wife's mom in that circumstance. We would have both had to leave the room. Honestly, Dr. Graham then asked me, what happened the day they hurt you, Zoe? What happened on your way home from school? I was supposed to walk home from school with Dina and Kelly, but I had to stay behind for a few minutes to complete a science worksheet that I forgot to do for homework the night before. When Mrs. Thompson finally let me leave, Dina and Kelly were both gone, and so was everybody else. The schoolyard was completely deserted, so I started to walk home alone. I was angry they didn't wait for me, but I knew they were trying to rush home to see Fat Albert and the Kids, our favorite cartoon. Besides, it wasn't their fault I forgot about my homework. I got to the walkway at the edge of the playground that led out to the street and noticed there were a group of boys standing at the end of it. The walkway was surrounded by woods, and I was scared to walk down it because one of the boys, Chucky, had teased me earlier that day at school. He said I had big breasts for a girl my age and asked could he feel them. I told him no. The only other way for me to get home was to take the long way around, and I knew Mama would be worried if I did that because I was already late. I walked down the wooded path, and when I got closer to them, they all started whispering and laughing. It was Chucky and his younger brother Stephen, and some other boys I had seen around school, but I didn't know their names. They started pushing me back and forth between them and calling me bad names. Suddenly, Chucky and Stephen dragged me into the woods. I dropped my book bag on the walkway and tried to yell out, but one of them, I can't remember which one, put his hand over my mouth so I couldn't. They told me that would kill my mama and daddy if I didn't do what they said. They did some really bad things to me. They pulled my panties off from under my skirt and yanked my shirt up over my head so I couldn't see. Then Chucky pulled his pants down and was rubbing his private part up against mine. It hurt me, and the rocks and branches underneath me hurt. I felt his tongue on my chest, and then he bit me on my breast assist, and it was very painful. Chucky got angry at me about something. He kept yelling, I can't get it in. He picked up a stick and started hitting me all over, like it was all my fault. He hit me in my privates, and I started screaming. That's when I heard a woman's voice call out, Who's over there? Chucky and Steven jumped up off the ground and ran away. So did the other boys. Somehow, I managed to stand up. I was crying and covered with their sweat and spit. I pulled my shirt down and put my panties back on. I had cuts and bruises all over my body. Then, this lady came running into the woods. I had never seen her before. She asked me if I was alright. I just cried and ran away. I found my book bag and ran home to Mama, but I couldn't tell her what happened. I thought it was my fault. After all, I had done a bad thing by not doing my homework. Why didn't the woman go with her? Like, you see a bunch of little boys. You see a bunch of boys running out of the woods. And you hear a little girl crying in there alone. She's covered in spit. And sweat. Why didn't you pursue her? She ran. Okay, that's cool. Little kid. Little legs. Pursue her. Go to her house. Tell her parents, this is what happened. This is what I witnessed. Adults are the fucking worst, I swear to God. There was a brief moment of silence and I started screaming, Why did they hurt me? Why did they hurt me, Mama? Why did they hurt me? That's when Dr. Graham clapped and woke me up out of the trance, only to see them all sitting around with their mouths hung open. After I heard the tape, my mouth was the one hanging open and waiting for the imaginary bee to strike. Dr. Graham, I don't remember any of that. None of it whatsoever. Was it real? Yes, Zoe. It was very real. That was you. Well, the younger version of you relating the whole thing. I knew he was right, but I still didn't want to face the facts. I just laid my head back on Jason's chest and wished none of it was happening. Marcella was full of energy and appeared to have gotten a second wind from somewhere. This is a great start, Zoe. At least now we know what the underlying reasons are for your behavior and attitude towards sex. I looked at her in amazement. Have you lost your fucking mind? What does any of that have to do with me cheating on Jason? I felt bad as soon as the words left my lips. 
It was bad enough everyone in the room knew I cheated on him without me making public announcements. It has everything to do with it. Dr. Graham and I will explain it all to you a little later. But first... First what? I noticed her eyes were not on me. They were directed towards Jason. Jason? Listening to Zoe throughout our therapy sessions and hearing about your apparent fear of sexual openness has caused me a great deal of concern. Dr. Graham and I discussed it, and he tends to agree with me. Dr. Graham was standing there, nodding his assent. Marcella continued, Do you think if we hypnotize you, we might be able to figure out why that is? Jason gasped, and I sat up to stare at him in the eyes. He looked back at me with his beautiful hazel eyes before he whispered, that won't be necessary, Marcella. I already know why. Chapter 30 Could you all please leave Zoe and me alone for a few minutes? Jason was on the edge, and I was falling over the cliff with him. I wasn't sure I could handle everything in one day after all. I would have preferred another day if everyone kicking my ass and getting hit by a delivery van. Jason, Marcella looked almost as worried as I did. It would really be better if this all came back with Dr. Graham and I present. Jason snapped back, No, I need to talk to Zoe alone, at least at first, and then you can all come back in here. Once she knows everything, I don't give a damn who finds out. I convinced him to go get something to eat, since lunchtime had rolled around. If Jason didn't want them there, that's the way it was going to be. They all filed out of the room headed to see what nasty yet nutritional food the hospital cafeteria was dishing up that day. Some hospitals got a really banging cafeteria. When my son was in the hospital, the cafeteria at the hospital he was at made some really great burgers and some really great burritos and some really great, um, like, almost like ramen bowls. I mostly ate burgers and burritos because, you know... Back then, I, I just wanted something. I'm a comfort eater. So I was eating that to keep my mind off of what was going on with my son at the time. Um, but, yeah, their food was fantastic. Honestly. So maybe things have improved over time. But don't diss hospital food. Like, it's not always horrible. I mean, they, the food they feed to y'all motherfuckers on, that are actually in the beds might be, but that's because they can't put things like too much seasoning and stuff into your into your food if you got a heart condition or they want to regulate stuff so you don't have an episode. So I can see that. I guess. I guess. My mother, being her typical indulgent self, asked Jason and I if we wanted her to bring us something to eat, but we refused. The last thing either one of us needed was heartburn or a gas attack on top of everything else. Jason and I were left in the room alone. I wasn't about to pressure him or rush him to tell me, so I ran my fingers through his hair and waited. Zoe. Yes, baby. Let me say straight up, this has nothing to do with cheating. I already told you I would never do that to you, and I haven't. I know you wouldn't, baby. I believe you. I gave him a kiss on his forehead and then raised his hand up to my lips so I could kiss it, too. Then I asked him what I'm sure was on everyone's mind. Were you sexually abused when we were kids, Jason? He jumped up off the hospital bed. No, hell no. I was never sexually abused or molested. I turned on my side to face him while he stood by the window, looking out. Then what is it, baby? Yeah, I'm wondering too. Like, what is it? You know, you can tell me anything. Zoe, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to come on out with it full force. Willard and Lorraine Raynard are not my real parents. He kept looking at the window at nothing in particular. I started fiending for some Prozac or something. Um, Jason, what do you mean they're not your real parents? He glanced at me and then walked back over to the bed. He didn't lie back down beside me, but pulled up one of the chairs and sat down in it. I should have told you all this a long time ago. You had a right to know. After all, you're my wife, Zoe. Yeah, plus y'all have kids, and if they ever got a condition where they would need to know their blood type and all that, you will want to know their family history. So yeah, it's kind of important. I understand if you're adopted. If you're adopted, then yeah, I can understand not knowing who your actual parents are, your blood parents are, things of that nature. So let's see what happened before I pass judgment. I had a right to know. He took a deep breath. I'm going to make a long story short. I was adopted when I was six. Okay, cool. 
Before then, I lived in an orphanage and was a ward of the state. I couldn't talk, so I just reached for his hand and held it tight. My mother, the real one, was a prostitute. I remember her clearly. She left me on the stupid orphanage when I was only four, telling me she couldn't take care of me anymore and had to go away. He started crying. I reached over on the metal table beside the bed and retrieved one of the rough, generic brand tissues the hospital provided. I dried his tears for him. Did something happen to you in the orphanage, Jason? No, Zoe. Actually, the nuns of the orphanage were very nice. That's why I believe in Catholicism, even though we don't attend church that often. I made a mental note to myself to start taking my kids to church. We all needed some religion. I'm not an expert on orphanages, but I've heard horrible stories about some of them. The one I lived in was nothing like that. Okay, I believe you. Did the Rainers do something to you? I was sitting there calling my in-laws the Rainers like they were strangers instead of my husband's parents. Everything was getting weirder by the minute. Did they hurt you, baby? No. Of course, there were times when they would get angry at me and throw it up in my face, telling me I should be thankful they even took me in when they could have just left me there. They didn't really mean any of those things, though. It was all set out of anger and frustration. I was missing something. Baby, if you weren't abused and nothing happened at the orphanage, then why are you so afraid to touch me? He hesitated, and there was no sound in the room for a few minutes. Like I said, my real mother was a prostitute. Her name was Delilah. At least, that's what she called herself. Did Delilah hurt you? Not physically. Then what? She used to leave me alone in this nasty, dank, rat-infested motel room for hours at a time. One time, she left me alone for several days. I lost count after the fifth one, and I was so scared she was never coming back. He started sobbing uncontrollably. I pulled him back on the bed with me, whether he wanted me to or not. I pushed his head down on my chest, hoping my heartbeat would somehow comfort him for a change. She would go out and sell her ass to support her heroin addiction. She spent all her money on drugs and hardly ever bought me anything to eat. I was so skinny and frail, my ribs were showing and my cheeks were sunken in. I would have to watch her shoot the poison into her arms and legs, and sometimes, when she didn't have anywhere else to take them, she would bring her tricks back to the motel with her. She would make me sit in the corner and watch when she was high and thought it was funny, or tell me to go sleep in the bathtub while they were there. Oh, baby, I'm so sorry. I just kept kissing his forehead over and over again because I didn't know what else to do. Looking back on it now, I realized Delilah did me a favor by abandoning me outside that orphanage. I was real sick when the nuns found me. I had pneumonia and an extremely high fever. While I was upset my mother would leave me like that, she actually saved my life because I was literally hours away from dying. The nuns rushed me to the emergency room and they were able to pack me in ice and bring down the fever before I had a seizure. He slid up more on the bed so we were face to face and kissed me gently on the lips. Besides, if she hadn't left me there, Willard and Lorraine would have never adopted me and I would have never found you. Well, you did find me. Somehow, in this big old fucked up world, we found each other. Yes, we did, boo. This is meant to be, Jason, and we're gonna get through all this, together. He grinned at me, like lemon to the lime, like the bumble to the bee. So he doesn't like sex because his mother was a sex worker and did drugs and made him watch? So he started thinking sex was dirty. He associated with drugs. I'm kind of confused. I got to be honest with you. Chapter 31. About an hour later, Marcella, Dr. Graham, and Mama all came traipsing back into the room. It couldn't have possibly taken them that long to eat that nasty hospital food. I pictured them sitting around a table in the cafeteria, downing coffee like spring water and wondering about what the hell Jason and I were upstairs talking about. I was glad they took so long because it gave me a chance to calm Jason down some. He was having trouble telling them all the things about his past, so I did it for him. It was like shock therapy, part two. They were all once again sitting there with their mouths hanging wide open. When I finished, I added my whole take on the situation, trying to add a little humor. Pretty wild, huh? Too fucked up in the head people end up married with children? Do you think they'll make a TV sitcom about us? The Crazy Bunch? Zoe, that's not funny. Obviously, my mother was not in a humorous mood. 
Dr. Graham decided he couldn't possibly do anything to rectify the situation in the span of one day and left the room to call his office from the nurse's station. Upon his return, he informed us he would be staying for an additional three days. Marcella was happier about his extended stay than anyone. She thought she was going to be left to sort out the entire mess alone. Dr. Graham, Jason's tired, and so am I. Since you're staying, could we possibly continue this tomorrow? I looked at Jason, who was half asleep. We're both emotionally drained, and it would be great if we got a fresh start in the morning. Much to my surprise, he agreed. I'm kind of emotionally drained myself. I think we all are, and besides, Marcella and I really need to put our heads together to figure out the best way to go about treatment. Sounds like a winner, Doc. I bid Dr. Graham and Marcella adieu, and they went off to rack their brains. Mama, please drive Jason home. Jason sat up, acting offended I would even make such a suggestion. Zoe, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Yes, you are. You're going to go home, kiss our kids goodnight for me, and take instant photos of them for me to add to my collection tomorrow. But your mother can handle the kids. Plus, the sitter is there. Not the point. Jason was tired and stressed, and I didn't want him to spend the night in the hospital with me. I knew the kids stood a better chance of cheering him up, and I really needed some time alone to sort through all the secrets revealed from my past as well as his. Do it for me, boo. Please? After throwing a bit of a temper tantrum, he finally agreed to leave with my mother, making me promise to take my ass straight to sleep. I assured him that it wouldn't be a problem at all. Sure enough, I fell into a deep sleep and would have slept most of the evening if I didn't sense someone standing over me. I woke up, and when I opened my eyes, Diamond was hovering over me, gripping a pillow in both hands. They ain't got no fucking security there? Diamond can just walk in and ain't nobody gonna ask nothing? You ain't gonna get no visitor pass from her? Like, at my son's hospital, we had to be on a list. We made sure there was a list. You just gonna let her walk up in there with a pillow and be hovering over her head? I was saying completely aback. What the hell are you doing? She sat the pillow down the edge of the bed by my feet. You were sleeping so peacefully. I was just going to put another pillow underneath your head because you like your neck was twisted. Oh, I rubbed my eyes. I wasn't fully awake and they were sore from all the crying. Diamond, what are you doing here? She plopped down in one of the chairs. I called your office and told your secretary I was an old college buddy of yours. After a little prodding, she told me about the accident and where I could find you. I rolled my eyes. I couldn't believe Shane would be stupid enough to give out information like that. Not to mention I never went to college. Her doofus behind should have known better. Well, what do you want? I wanted to check on you and make sure you were alright. What else? By the way, I didn't tell Quentin you were in the hospital. He would have asked me a bunch of questions about how I knew so much. I figured you wouldn't want that. She sucked her teeth, taking advantage of the fact she had something to throw up in my face at will. Even though Jason knew I had experimented with a female... I would have been totally ashamed if Quentin ever found out about Diamond. She damn well knew it, too. You figured right. She was irritating me, and it was beginning to show in my voice. Why are you being so nasty with me? She was about to go into a bitch mode. It was a scene I wasn't even trying to have. No reason. Sorry if I snapped at you. I wasn't sorry. I just wanted her to hurry up and leave. I came here to see you, out of the goodness of my heart, and this the shit I get? She went there. Look, I never asked you to come see me. I never asked you for jack shit, and I would appreciate it if you would get the hell out so I could get some rest. You weren't saying that shit when I was sucking on your pussy. She smirked, realizing that statement would piss me off. I never asked you to do that either. You insisted, and it's not like I returned the favor. You didn't even need to have Diamond come in. You didn't need to have this whole confrontation happen. You didn't need none of this. Honestly, not a piece. She got up from the chair, fired up. You're right, I did insist, as you put it, but the bottom line is you let me do it, and you'll probably let me do it again. Don't flatter yourself, trick. I let you do it because, at the time, I didn't give a shit who was sucking on this pussy as long as it was getting sucked. I don't want you. I'm not attracted to you. I don't even fucking like you. You're such a bitch. Ooh, that really hurts, I chided. Bitch is my middle name, haven't you heard? I've been called that so many times lately. Having your little scrawny ass call me that doesn't even faze me. Well, everyone can't be wrong. Maybe you should try and figure out why you keep getting called out your name, Zoe. 
Maybe you should drop dead. You're a waste of fucking oxygen anyway. Really? This is this is what we're doing. This is how we're responding to this one person. Everybody else. I should have. Diamond looked away from me and started eyeing the pillow at the end of the bed. You should have what? She didn't say anything. And I was looking around the room for something to clock her with. I picked up the hard metal telephone and flung it at her. She managed to duck, but not before I caught her in the shoulder blade. She yelped out in pain. The nurse came flying into the room. What's going on in here? Miss Raynard, are you okay? So y'all heard that, but y'all didn't hear them yelling and screaming at each other? Hmm. I'm fine, but could you call hospital security and tell them to get this skank hoe out of my room? Don't worry, bitch. I'm leaving. She headed for the door. Good. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Diamond left, and the nurse was standing there looking silly. Um, could you hand the phone back over here, please? She picked it up, handed it to me, and uttered, Sure. Thanks. She was still standing there. It didn't look like she had any immediate plans to vacate. If you don't mind, I'd like to get some rest now. Okay. Just let us know if you need anything. She forced a smile and then made a quick exit, probably hoping the crazed bitch in room 301 would hurry up and get her release papers. Before I drifted back to sleep, I looked at the crumpled pillow at the foot of the bed and wondered if Diamond was really demented enough to try and smother me. In my mind echoed the word, nah. As promised, that there's really no point of that scene at all. Unless it pops back up later on, there was no need for it. I guess it was because Quentin had his moment and Tyson had his moment. So Diamond had to have her moment, but... Everything's already resolved and you're just bringing her back up to introduce the crazy bitch who is a lesbian. As promised, Dr. Graham and Marcella got down to business. For the next few days, they counseled Jason and I together and apart. They made us read several books. I thought I was back in high school for a minute. Homework assignments and shit, but it was all worth it. Jason and I spent hours on end talking about everything that had happened throughout our years together. What went right and what went wrong. We wanted our marriage to go on in the future. Jason learned to deal with his mother's prostitution and the things he witnessed and was subjected to at such a young, vulnerable age. Marcella made us do touching experiments, which made Jason understand that there was nothing nasty or vulgar about having oral sex with his own wife. He confessed that he always wanted to try it, but could never bring himself to let me. Hmm. He always wanted to do it, huh? Never communicated that to you, huh? Even when you tried it a million times and he was just like, nah, don't. Okay, cool. This turnabout is like whiplash. As it turned out, while I was hiding sex toys all over the house, Jason was hiding porn flicks that he watched on a regular basis when no one was... I can't even finish that. So Jason is a sex addict as well. Just with porn. He's been hiding porn tapes all over the house while she's been out having affairs. And none of this. Okay. He watched them on a regular basis when no one was around. He said he mostly watched them on the TV VCR combination in his drawing room. And a lot of times when I thought he was down there sweating over blueprints, he was watching the movies and jacking off. I was stunned. I couldn't even picture Jason jacking off. I wonder was he better at masturbating than me because Lord knows I thought I was a pro. His main fear about letting go sexually was allowing me to take control of the situation. We talked it over and I promised him I would never do anything to make him feel uncomfortable. A again, I mean after what you did to him in high school. We could do it at his own pace, gradually adding new things and positions as time went on. As for me, that was another story altogether. Dr. Graham requested I make arrangements to come down to his clinic in Florida for a couple of weeks. I told him I would, but not right away. I had been away from my home and my kids for too long. Being back there was the best therapy for me at the time. Marcella agreed to work with me three times a week. I told them that just knowing what had happened to me when I was younger had helped me tremendously. All along, I never understood why I became so obsessed with sex at a young age. I felt I could put those incidents behind me and move on. As long as I had Jason, I could move mountains. Jason and I wouldn't be able to recover from everything overnight because it didn't happen overnight.
We made a pact of whatever it took and no matter how long it took, we were both in it to win. Everyone seemed satisfied with the results of the first three days of therapy, and Dr. Graham headed back to Florida, making sure Jason and I had both his home and office telephone numbers. That night, I called Dr. Ferguson at home. I looked his digits up in the phone book and told him if he didn't let my ass out the hospital the next day, I'll become the patient from hell, screaming all day and all night, disrupting the other patients. He laughed, even though I don't think he found my intrusion into his quality time at home humorous, and agreed to release me the next day. Chapter 32 The next afternoon, Dr. Ferguson finally released me with a clean bill of health. I was so excited about going back home, I didn't know what I wanted to do first when I got there. Well, second, because kissing and hugging the hell out of my kids was definitely the first thing on my agenda. Taking a long, hot bubble bath and raiding the fridge for some decent food were tied for second place. Jason arrived at exactly two to pick me up. While they wheeled me down to the nurse station to get my release papers, I got suspicious about why Jason was smiling so damn much, so I asked him why. He laughed and told me, no reason. I'm just happy my boo is coming home. Things haven't been the same without you. I lifted one of my feet up off the slat on the wheelchair and kicked him lightly in the shin. Things better not be the same. I'm not so easily replaceable, you know. He knelt down to kiss me. You can never be replaced. Once we were in the car headed home, we talked about what the children did and did not know about the recent turn of events. The twins were too young to understand anything more than a mere fact that I had been away for a couple of weeks. Peter, on the other hand, was another matter altogether. Jason comforted me and assured me Peter didn't know anything except that I had been involved in some sort of automobile accident and had to stay in the hospital until I got better. I was relieved. Jason held my hand the rest of the way home, telling me all the wonderful things he had planned out for our future, including buying some land up in the mountains, designing and building us a summer home. That brought a smile to my face. A summer home had always been a big dream of mine. It wasn't that we couldn't afford it. It was just the lack of free time that had held us back. Jason told me he was willing to talk to his partners and make time to do it if I was willing to do the same. I quickly replied, not a problem, boo. Now's the time to do everything we ever dreamed of. Life is too short not to. When we walked in the front door, I was taken aback when I saw the welcome home banner, flowers, and balloons everywhere. Mama was standing there in the middle of the great room and had all three kids dressed alike in stonewashed jeans and red t-shirts. Kayla had an abundance of red ribbons in her hair. She reminded me of a picture of me when I was a little girl in a similar outfit. Peter was kneeling on the floor, and he had his arms around a Dalmatian puppy with a huge red ribbon attached to his flea collar. Mommy, this is Spot. Daddy bought him for you. I rushed over and hugged all my kids and even the dog. Jason had gone out and found me a dog just like the one I used to feed my vegetables to underneath the dining room table as a child, who had been hit by a car. He obviously had a little help from my mother. The puppy was a spitting image of the original Spot and could have passed for his grandchild. Peter helped Jason fire out the gas grill on the patio while I played some board games with the twins. They showed me some of the new toys their grandmother had gotten them while I was away. My mother loved to spoil her grandkids and went overboard in my absence, knowing I couldn't object. The phone rang. I yelled out to Jason, I'll get it! I picked up the cordless and said, Hello? There was no answer, but I could hear someone breathing heavily on the other end. Hello? Who's there? Still nothing but the breathing, and then the line went dead. Please don't tell me Diamond's about to turn into a stalker. Jason came into the house to retrieve the steaks and chicken breasts for the grill. Who was it, baby? I mean, that's wrong of me to say Diamond. It could be Tyson. It could be Quentin. But Tyson's in jail, as far as we know. And Quentin said he wasn't going to bother Jason no more because Jason's a good man. Which leaves Diamond. I shrugged my shoulders and whispered, wrong number, I guess. We had a lovely picnic on the screened-in porch. Afterward, my mother went home to spend some time with her husband, who I'm sure felt mad and neglected by that time. Jason decided to keep the living sitter a while longer. He had given her two weeks' notice, figuring that would be enough time for me to get readjusted to family life. The sitter's name was Angelique, and she was a college student working on her undergraduate degree in business administration. She lived in a dorm on campus, but took the living position eagerly when she saw the ad on the bulletin board in the student union. She was a sweet girl and taught me half to death when she showed up at the house after her afternoon classes. 
She told me all about growing up in Maryland and how she chose to go to college in Atlanta because she wanted a change of pace and a break from her overbearing parents. At about seven, I asked Angelique to start getting the kids ready for bed. I went up to the master bedroom to drown myself in a hot bath since that was the only thing left to do after hugging my kid and feeding my face with some real food. Jason joined me a few minutes later, locking the bedroom door and putting on some jazz before stripping down and getting in the tub. Something about the way he held me confirmed what I had hoped. The therapy sessions were working, and things would be way different. He got behind me in the tub and kissed my ears and neck while he took a loop of sponge and squeezed warm water all over my shoulders and breasts. He put the sponge down and grabbed him, one in each hand, rubbing his thumbs over my erect nipples. I turned to the side so I was sitting on his thigh in the tub instead of between his legs and we started tongue kissing. He grabbed me by the back of the neck and pulled my mouth closer into his so that his tongue could go deeper in my mouth. I broke the kiss just long enough to turn completely around and straddle my legs over his thighs. I locked my arms around his neck and our kissing continued for several moments. Jason caressed my ass cheeks, one in each hand, and I started to grind my pussy onto his dick in the warm water letting the shaft of it rub between my thighs. He let go of one of my ass cheeks and cut one of my breasts in his hand, bringing it up to his mouth and sucking on my nipple. I reached into the water and held his dick steady so I could climb on top of it. I sat down on it slowly. My ribs were still a bit sore from the accident, but there was no way I was missing on the opportunity to really make love to Jason. I wanted to for so long, and he was finally receptive to my advances, and I was in heaven. Jason let me ride his dick. For the first time, he let me be in the position to control, the one thing he had feared all those years. And from what I could tell and the sweet things he whispered to me, he loved every minute of it. We stayed in the tub until the water was almost freezing, and then he got out to get some towels. We dried each other off, and he carried me to bed, where we made love again, another first. In all our years together, Jason had never been with me intimately more than once a night. He was no longer a two-minute brother either. In fact, he may love me longer and harder than anyone. He surprised the hell out of me when he told me to turn around and enter me from behind. I came all over the place, and he came all up in me. So, again, this is from his mother being a sex worker and doing drugs in front of him and leaving him at home overnight. His mind must have just convinced him that sex was bad. I don't know. I chided him, damn, Jason, I hope you didn't get me pregnant. He chuckled, well, don't worry about it if I did. I still have the umpire mask in the garage. We are about to drift off to sleep with smiles on both of our faces when the phone rang. I glanced over at the clock and realized it was well after midnight. I reached for the phone since it was on my side of the bed. Hello? Nothing. Hello? All I got back in reply was a single word. The caller's voice was being distorted by a rag or something held over the phone. The single word was, BITCH! They hung up, and so did I. Jason sat up in the bed. Who was that calling here so late? I don't know, baby. Let's just get some sleep. He lay back down, and I sought comfort by laying my head on his chest and listening to his heartbeat, like I always did when I was scared. I had trouble falling asleep. Wondering who the hell it could have been and if it was the same person who had called earlier, breathing heavily on the phone. I came to the conclusion that it could have only been one of two people, Dempsey or Tyson. Both of their whereabouts were still a mystery. I thought that nigga was in jail, Tyson, not Dempsey. I made a mental note to myself to make a stop on my way home from work the next day. I would go buy me a freaking gun. As planned, I returned to work the very next day after my release from the hospital. It was very important for me to try to pick up all the pieces of my life and move on. The last thing Marcella told me before my release was, always remember to pass as a guiding post and not a hitching post. You must learn from your mistakes and keep on going. She was right, and that was exactly what I intended to do. Everyone was very pleasant to me upon my return to the office, and most had the common sense and decency not to pry into my personal life. A couple of the water cooler gossip mongers tried to get in my business, but I set them straight fast. I brazenly reminded them I was the head of the company. They were employees and needed to remember where their bread and butter came from. After that, they didn't have a damn thing to say and expeditiously returned to work. I called Jason at his office to see if he wanted to have lunch with me. His secretary, Allison, got bitch with me on the phone. Oh, so it's Allison. Okay, so it's Allison who's been calling. Cool. 
She had been cool with me until she called me a tramp that day, and I wasn't about to forget that. I wanted her ass gone, and after a few conversations with Jason, I was sure she would be, if for no other reason than to make me happy. She was probably one of the women that had been throwing pussy at him all along. The hoochie had to go. No ifs, ands, or buts. I wasn't about to be subjected to her attitude every time I called or went by my husband's firm. Allison might be related to Quentin. You know, because he said he she, he was supposed to tell her about her his family and his mom and dad and never did. So that's going to come back up at some point. Remember all the way back then? I was disappointed when Jason told me he couldn't make lunch due to a business appointment, but I fully understood. He had missed a lot of time at work and needed to play catch up too. I bought a sub, some chips, and a bottled soda and ended up having lunch on a bench in front of the mural Quentin painted at the Marta station. I miss Quentin, but not in a sexual way. He had always been kind to me, and I miss his friendship, a friendship we could never have because of the sexual nature of our relationship. I hope you went back and got that fucking picture off his wall. His loft was directly across the street. I glanced up at it a few times while I picked up my food. I ended up feeding most of it to the birds that gathered around once they picked up on the scent of the turkey breast and cheese on the freshly baked sub roll. Cannibals. When I got up to head back to the office, I almost strayed over to his building, but I caught myself. I didn't want to run the risk of bumping in a diamond. The anorexic beanpole bitch who had the audacity to come up in my hospital room with all her drama. Besides, even with diamond out of the mix, I still couldn't see Quentin. Not then. Not ever again. Quentin had lived through too many people walking out of his life already. Since I knew I couldn't walk back into it for good, I decided to leave well enough alone. I already realized I would have to make up one last lie once the Civic Center had its grand opening. I couldn't possibly attend, even though Jason was a head architect. While Jason knew about the affairs, he didn't know Quentin was one of them, and I wanted to keep it that way. There was no way I would disrespect Jason like that, letting him find out that he actually had lunch with my lover, and there was no way I could handle it. It was bad enough he had to confront Tyson. He didn't need an altercation with Quentin. In another lifetime... Quentin and I could have been the best of friends, but not in this one. Ironically, I now understood why Quentin's mother killed herself. It took me trying to do the same thing to comprehend it. When I thought I had lost Jason, my life was over and I didn't want to go on. I guess she felt the same way when her husband left her and her kids for a white woman. Luckily, my attempt had failed and I had been given a second chance. I wasn't about to mess it up. I had a renewed desire and appreciation of life. I also had a new Jason. Good night, everyone. Have a good evening and see you tomorrow. I rushed through the outer offices and pushed the button for the elevator to go down to the garage. I was in a hurry since I was trying to make it to the gun shop about 10 blocks away before they closed up for the day. I didn't tell Jason about being called a bitch on the phone the night before. I was determined not to let anything upset our happy home. I didn't want to get the police involved either. They were already looking for both Tyson and Dempsey, so there was really nothing more for them to do. On the flip side of the coin, I wasn't a fucking fool either. I realized getting a gun was not a bad idea, just in case. I would have to take special precautions to make sure I was never left anywhere one of the children could get a hold of it. When I got off the elevator, I spotted my Mercedes, twice vandalized, but still hanging in there with me, parked in my assigned space at the far end of the row. There was a security guard stationed in the garage 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I didn't see him anywhere. But that was no big surprise, since they only had one guard to patrol all three levels. I got halfway to my car when I heard some footsteps echoing from somewhere in the garage. I couldn't pin down the exact location. I don't know what made me call out. It was almost rush hour, and it could have easily been another building occupant on their way to their car or the guard. I had a very uneasy feeling, though, so I called out, Who's there? There was no response and I suddenly realized I had stopped walking and was just standing there, frozen like a sitting duck. If there was indeed a maniac lurking in the garage, the last thing I needed to be doing was waiting for him to attack, or her. I made a mad rush for my car, searching through my purse for my keys along the way. I had seen 50 million tapes on safety, and yet didn't have my keys out before I entered the garage. I guess it's true what they say about leading a horse to water, but not being able to make it drink. I got to my car, and I still couldn't find my damn keys underneath all the other junk in my bag. I set my briefcase down on the ground and put my purse up on the roof of the car so I can go through it at eye level. 
I finally found them and unlocked the door, flinging my purse onto the leather passenger seat. I turned around to get my briefcase, which was behind me on the ground, and came face to face with Dempsey. For real? Okay. You looking for this bitch? He had my briefcase in his hands. Before my reflexes could spring into action, he hit me square in the face with it, knocking me back against the open driver's side door. Why is Dempsey attacking Zoe? Like, he ran. The cops were called regardless. Why is he attacking Zoe? Not quite sure why he would come back to fight Zoe. If I escaped and I was on the run for murder, what I'm not going to do is come back and fight my ex-girlfriend who I had just killed's best friend. Especially when the police are probably monitoring her every step just in case she came back to fight her because you're stupid. The door caught me in the ribs and I bent over in pain. He threw the briefcase on the ground. Now what you got to say, bitch? Where's your fucking switchblade this time? He hit me across the face with his fist and I could see my blood splatter on my light gray business suit. The left side of my face went numb. I wanted to scream, but no sounds would come out. You told the fucking police about me and now your ass is gonna pay. Okay. Dempsey grabbed me around the neck and that's when I decided to fight back. I remember how Tyson had choked me and knew if I didn't do something fast, he would cut off my airway and I wouldn't have a prayer. I pulled every ounce of strength left of me together and kneed him in the groin. He squealed out in pain and let go of my neck so he could hold on to his privates. My first instinct was to get in the car and drive off, run over his crazy ass if need be. But then I realized he had knocked the keys out of my hand at some point during the struggle. I did a quick search and couldn't find them. They must have landed somewhere underneath my car or the one parked beside it. Before Dempsey could fully regain his composure, I took his head in both my hands and kneed him in the face while he was still bent over. I had seen that move in dozens of karate flicks, and I must have administered it right because he started yelping like a dog. I hauled ass, and my vocal cords finally kicked back in as the polluted city air pumped in and out of my lungs. I had lost one shoe already and paused long enough to pull the other leather pump off. I ran uphill to the next level of the garage, which was also the entry level, hoping to locate the guard in his booth. I could hear Dempsey yelling out behind me, but if he was running, he didn't seem to be closing in on me, and I was sure as shit happy about that. I reached the guard booth, screaming, HELP ME! To my dismay, it was empty. I turned around, getting ready to keep hauling ass out into the busy street to seek help from one of the many strangers on the sidewalk. Instead, I ran straight into the guard, who was coming out of the small and probably filthy bathroom hidden behind a steel door marked for employees only. He was zipping up his fly when I started screaming at him to call the police. He radioed for help right away, but by the time the police arrived and cornered off the building and garage, Dempsey was nowhere to be found. So what you're telling me is that the last couple chapters are going to be Dempsey. You dealing with Dempsey. Okay. All right. Cool. Whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm still actually frustrated on the way that Jason's situation came about. I am. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm being like cold hearted, but I am. Especially when it turns out that he had porn and all that and he really wanted you to try doing this stuff to him and all that kind of stuff. And it's revealed at the very end of the book that he wanted you to do all that stuff to him. He just didn't want you to be in control. What? And that he had porn and he had been jacking. Also, he saw people doing those sexual acts all the time. He just didn't want to do them to you. Okay. Whatever. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. Copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts. And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace.
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you're 